Jacob Chastain, I have a question for you. Last time we talked, we talked about you asked me a question about buying a car. And you said you were leaning towards Jeep and how, so my question is, it looks like on Facebook, you're in a Jeep with your buddy, your son. I'm wondering, is that true? Is that a Jeep that I see? And how did you go about choosing it? I did, I did. I made the plunge. Not enough people responded here. They all let me down. I wanted people's guidance and no one gave me guidance. So I had to go blind, but um, yeah. We, I obsessively researched as I do, uh, and watched a billion videos and looked at cars.com and carmax.com and, uh, whatever, all the car websites that you can use and, and apps and stuff. And was pulling through some stuff and I found the, a few and I test drove a few and there was these two that I was really looking at. One was a 2014 Jeep Rubicon, no 2015. And one was a, a Wrangler Sahara 2017. Not very different, but they had some different features and whatnot. But they were kind of, I don't know, they, they, they were good. And so we tried them out. A week went by and I really thought about it. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to go get a freaking Jeep. And so I got up with my son and I said, let's go. We went and test drove the one I was going to get. And it like, I don't know, it just didn't feel right. Something that just wasn't. I don't know, after looking at it a second time and really going through and analyzing, getting up under the car and looking at stuff, I was like, you know, this, this doesn't... You got, up all, you got up under the car? Yeah, because I watched that stuff on That was not like, a what part of my for. suggestion. Yeah, I know. All right, go ahead. So I went and looked for some common things, and wow. uh, I ended up saying you know what i don't, I don't think it's gonna be good it's not worth it and then they came out the manager came out and they were i think they were gonna let me haggle a little bit but it just didn't feel right it didn't feel like i was gonna do it so i said no and so my son was like dad we only we only spent two hours at the dealership can we go somewhere else and i said all right well i remember seeing a different one at a different dealer and so i was like all right we can go here and we went there and the guy pulled it around and i was like instantly in love this big old, it looks black in picture sometimes, but it's really like a dark gray. These big old tires got a nice lift on it. 2017, so a little newer, less mileage, got some good upgrades to it, which is a very Wrangler thing. I test drove it, drove better than the other ones. Um, looked at everything, everything looked nice. It had a clean car record, and I was like, oh my God, I can't can't believe I'm about to do this. And so I made the plunge. I jumped in. Oh, my goodness. And I got me a Jeep Wrangler. The, fu the funny thing is, is, of course, it's used, right? And uh, we, I took it home and then instantly, like, with my son, you know, we kind of drove around and then we learned how to take all the doors off. Then we took the tops off and have been taking them on and off like every day we bought it on the fourth um and so oh, been, okay yeah so i've been going just kind of experimenting and, and figuring out like the jeep life so to speak and i gotta tell you there's something satisfying about like last night i went driving around and went to one of my buddy's house and there's something satisfying about having nothing above you nothing on your sides just cruising at night in the summer it's you and the open road ochoa I see. I see. It's been good, but it's been a good bonding experience for me and my son. He's but he loves it, and he's been diving into. Oh, that's it. good. He's he learned how to do all the little 
the nuances of the because it's got uh you know power doors and stuff so you have to unplug those pieces and um he actually said something funny so in the back there is a like a windshield wiper right and you can it has a, a water line that goes out there so if you want to take off the, the the back half of the top you have to unplug the water line which isn't too hard it's just it just kind of like plugs out and we undid it and he goes that was tighter than a frog's butthole Oh my god! And I was like, "Where on earth did, did you hear that <laughs> phrase?" <laughs> He's like, "YouTube." And I was like, "All right, well, I mean, let's try not to say that, but I mean, I, I like cracked up." But no, it's been good. It's been treating me right. It's 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 way. So I went from a, a 09 Lincoln MKZ. Yeah, it's totally opposite. It's completely opposite, and it's it's super tall. The I have to so the the bottom where the I guess the floor is the floor bed whatever you want to call it is like almost up to my waist when you're standing next to it so yeah it's just a little bit high it's just a little bit lower than my waist and so it's it's it is a tall tall little jeep but I'm into it I'm 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 here for it well I'm kind of surprised because you're sitting here with what you just said, you, you couldn't tell me what the floorboard was of the Jeep, but you could tell me that you go underneath the Jeeps to see whether they're worth buying or not. So I'm yeah. kind of I'm kind of concerned about what you were actually looking at when you were looking under. That's OK. The Jeep. I, make probably, wasn't, probably wasn't looking at anything good. I'm not saying I'm knowledgeable. <laughs> just teasing. I just I, I followed the advice. They said if it looks like it shouldn't look like that, it probably shouldn't. <laughs> OK. <laughs> Well, that sounds fun. Well, I hope you have a good. Uh, I, I'm glad that I guess what I'm glad that you and your son are bonding over it. So I think that's pretty neat. Yeah. Now, I bonded with my, you know, my parents when I was five. They brought home an Oldsmobile uh, station wagon, you know, the kind you see in vacation. Yep. Lampoon's vacation. And we. You know, back then, you didn't have to have all these car seats. So we would drive with mom. She'd like, we'd be going to Amarillo or going somewhere. And uh, so my brother and I, or anybody else, my cousins, all them, we would sit in the back, like lay down in the back, and then we would roll. So every time she would turn a corner, we would go, whoa, I don't know. (laughs) Then we'd roll back, whoa. It was the best car until... I became a junior and that or a sophomore, and that was the car that my parents gave me to to drive around. Needless to say, none of my friends wanted to go with me, but it was cool when I was five. It was cool, yeah, but when I was driving it, it had smoke coming out of the back. In order to start it, we had to spray a little starter fluid on the top front of it, and we were. It was back before they had all those rules about the environment and all that stuff so we were just uh anyway so my ozone we were but let me tell you my mother the way i ended up with my new cars my mom told my dad um i just don't think i need her picking me up with all that smoke you can see her all the way down the street (laughs) and the gas gauge didn't work i ran out of gas quite a few times but by golly i had it when i was uh, as a kid in kind in kindergarten, and I drove it when I was a sophomore. So you never know what's going to happen with those cars it's true. and children. So maybe you'll save it for him. He can drive it. 
Maybe. That's what my son did. He uh, he got a little emotional <laughs> as we left the Lincoln. He's like, I'm going to miss that Lincoln. He's like, maybe I can buy it back. And I'm like, son, when you are old enough to do that, you are not going to care about be this here. car. <laughs> it won't be here, but it won't. You're also not going to care. Oh. Well, everybody, that is Jacob Chastain and I'm Pam Ochoa. And welcome to Craft and Draft, where we talk about anything from cars to... <laughs> I don't know, smoke in the ozone and anything else in between. So anyway, Jacob, what are we going to talk about today? Ladies and gentlemen, we are going to dive into two questions are asked by one of our Patreon supporters. Rebecca asked us two questions the other day. Hello, We've Rebecca. Hit- yes. Hi, hi, hi. Um, one of our long-term supporters. We uh, have addressed both of these questions in different stuff, but it's always good to recycle because there's a lot of episodes. I don't know if you know this, Ochova. I mean, you talk a lot. Um <laughs> Yes. And so we have podcasts that sometimes address certain questions, but it's like buried 50 minutes into something. Um, And so sometimes it's good just to kind of round back, just to cycle in some of this. So she has two questions. So we're going to be doing that today. Also, just to put this at the front of the episode, Ochoa's traveling this week. If you're a Patreon supporter, you know that we've been, we pause some of our Patreon stuff this week because, uh, or this month, because we're just busy and people are traveling and you guys are traveling. So we just thought it was fair for everyone uh, not to get charged um, for their support of us in July. doesn't change anything. just means no one's getting charged so we can kind of play catch up. But Ochoa is going to be gone for the next week. Um, so what we're going to do is we're going to take this episode. We're going to split it in two. So both of these questions, we'll probably spend half the episode talking about one and then the other uh, half of the episode talking about the other. So we'll split it just kind of back to back. If you're a Teach Me Teacher listener, then you'll be familiar with that format. We're going to do that for Craft and Draft this week. Um, just to make things happen. But before we move any further, for everyone else that is listening to this, I want to tell you that this podcast is supported by our Patreon supporters. A lot of them have been with us for quite a while. They're amazing. They keep the heart of this podcast going. And they get bonus episodes, bonus perks, bonus videos, and so much more, including upcoming trainings that Pam and I will be really wrapping in and getting going uh, probably after she gets back from everything else. So you can start off August with some amazing stuff, but they are Alicia, Brandy, Leah, Mark, Amy, Sarah, Rebecca, Courtney, Carol, and Alyssa, Destiny, Lori, Natalie, Susan, Tracy, Andrea, Hannah, Lori, Jen, Matt, Amanda, and Donna. I will probably, just for the sake of... Um, everyone, I'll probably redo this, uh, intro next week. And by redo, I mean, copy and paste it. Um, and that way, if you catch the next episode, then you'll know. So if you're listening to hang on, what episode are we on? That's a better question. So if you're listening to episode 149, then you're right where you need to be. If you're listening to episode 150, you need to go back to 149 because you're in part two. Okay. Does that sound good? Are we, are we kosher? What does that mean? By the way, what does that mean to be kosher? Kosher? Yeah. Well, I, I just use the phrase, but I don't really understand it. Well, I mean, kosher goes all the way back to Judaism, where mm-hmm. everything had to be cut just right so that it would be pure for God and so that you could consume and not be defiled. So it has to be cooked and cut and all that and drained and all that a certain way. So it has to be very specific. Mm. So if it's kosher, that means it's acceptable. Yeah, genuine or legitimate. Oh, genuine or legitimate. Okay. Interesting, right? I didn't look at the definition. 
I mean, you're good. I mean, you had the, the the first one, which was all about food and whatnot, which I knew that piece. I should know how it related to when you say, is it kosher? So it means, is it genuine or legitimate, which I guess relates to the... Legitimate. Mm-hmm. I was thinking acceptable. Yeah. So I guess if it's legit, if it's real. All right. Okay. All right. Well, cool. let's get to the first question. Alrighty, Ochoa. So, question one. Rebecca goes. Sorry, flipping screens here. She says, I'm catching up on all the podcasts. So, I may be mentioning something that you've already covered, but here it goes. What about a day in the life sort of podcast that walks through what goes on in a 90 minute or 50 minute workshop class from beginning to closing? So, we'll hit that one first. Um, and then for the second podcast, uh, we'll hit on, uh, she mentors. Oh, sorry. The other thing is she was thinking it'd be cool is a podcast on how to deal with difficult colleagues. I know this has been done before and she wants to cover that as well. So, uh, we will do the first one day in the life of workshop. I like this one, especially kind of at this time of year, people are looking for, Um, just to, just to revamp and sometimes just listening to stuff. Like I go back and read workshop books all the time. Maybe not the full book, but I'll open, you know, in the middle and I'll read how she's running a podcast or a podcast, a workshop, or (laughs) I'll go up and I'll, you know, read Nancy Atwell or Penny Kittle, um, Kelly Gallagher, all of them, Laura Robb. And it's just nice to hear from, from people that are doing similar work, um, and jumping into that. So I don't know. I mean, if you were talking to someone who was brand new to workshop, what's your go-to when you talk about structure? Because her specific here, or her specific uh, clarifier statement is teachers struggle to match content and curriculum, what that looks like in an actual workshop classroom. So how do you bridge that gap, I, I guess? Well, I think, first of all, you have to start with your curriculum and your and your um your standards or your objectives, whatever that, you know, whatever that might be, your requirements. And then I look to see how I can use those requirements in a workshop model. And what I mean by that is how can I take what they have to learn and how can I give it to the students in such a way that they're the ones doing the work? Okay. And so most of the time they might not know, you know, it could be something that's already been taught before and we're extending it. So, you know, I have to look at that. Is this something that they, you know, have, is there a prerequisite, if you will, in order to learn this information, if there's uh, information they already need to know, or have, are we just building on something they've already learned? Because that's going to be how I determine my, uh, my mini lesson. And so my mini lesson will be based on is, you know, maybe teaching them the prerequisite. What do they need to know in order to do this skill? Um, What do they need to know? Um, you know, or where are they at in the process of writing? So I just kind of look our reading and I kind of just look and see, uh, number one, what is my standard? What do they have to do? And how can I use that in a workshop model? And what do they need to know? And what do I need to teach in order for them to actually do the work? So first of all, I'm thinking, what is the work? What is it that the students have to do? And so from there, I usually have me personally, I have my own kind of system. Um, a lot of times, and I've switched this up. So I don't think there's 
a set way, right? But I do know like parts of a workshop itself, uh, you know, you can break it down into, um, you know, your, your mini lesson, your work time, your debrief, your, um, all of a sudden I lost it. Your, uh, connecting to the kids, your, um, help me out all of a sudden. I can't think of it. We talk, uh, conferencing, uh, the word conferencing, I was going all around it, but the word conferencing is what I was yeah. trying to think, think of. But anyway, I, you know, where is that going to fit in? So it has to have all of those parts. They have to have reading time and they have to have writing time. So how do I get that? Well, sometimes this last year, I realized that my students, I had some, pr I had a pretty rough group. So because I had a rough group, if I only did reading at the beginning of, you know, like when they walk in and they get a book and read, because, you know, some teachers like to set it up that way. Uh, if I did that, um, it was okay, except they only had so many minutes in them before they just didn't want to participate. And so I had to keep it moving. So sometimes I have to know my students. So then, but if I, if I did, if I started with reading, then I found that I was never getting to the writing. So what I ended up doing this year is on Mondays and Wednesdays, they would read. And on Tuesdays, Thursdays, they would write. I, I just had them. So when they walked in, they would do their book of choice. They would pick up their book and read. And we did it so much like that. I didn't vary from that, that the students would come in and tell me what they were doing next. You know, oh, today, Ms. Ochoa, we're doing the, you know, the writing. I would just write it on the board, what they're supposed to do. The writing was something that either I might have a, a sentence starter there a lot of times it was just, it depends on where we were at in the process. It could be just, what are you working on? Make sure you write 10 minutes on it, you know, just to kind of get them going uh, where you left off yesterday or not yesterday, but the day before. And so then they would have writing time. Sometimes I would actually give them something to, to do, uh, maybe a topic finding thing or something like that. And then I would give them their mini lesson. And then after that mini lesson, then from there, um, they would go back into the work that actually matched um, what my objective was. And I'd always, when they did their reading, their response to reading was, that was kind of my getting into the mini lesson. So I'd always have something there to get into the mini lesson that would match my objective. So I don't know if that's helpful right now, but that's what's on my brain. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think. The... What do you think? When you're balancing uh, curriculum and what's expected of you in the classroom based on your district guidelines or whatever, it really is, I don't know, I, I think sometimes the reason why it's so hard is I think we conceptualize workshop in a, I, I guess, a more classical sense of, of a lesson. So mm -hmm. you, you uh, a classic lesson, I guess, would be, you know, you talk and you teach and then you hand kids something to do rather than I think workshop is more set up on kind of setting up the experience of learning, so to speak. And so mm -hmm. you're with your standard as your target, you kind of set up your parameters, right? You set up a reading that is a catalyst for their thinking in whichever way. If you're working on figurative language, you can put something with figurative language in front of them. You're not just going to look at figurative language examples out of context all the time. Um, having something within context, within 
that model text. Um, and then because of the format, kids are going to interact like you said. They're going to have that kind of response to the reading, um, go through whatever kind of core lesson you have designed, but then they're going to use that in context of their reading and writing. And right. That piece is, I think, the the one that I think is the most helpful for people to think about is how do I set up the parameters to get kids to do this in their own reading and writing? And that becomes increasingly difficult because I, I think they're not increasingly difficult. I think some standards lend themselves easier to that. And some are a little bit more difficult. Um, like if you're really having to hit grammar standards, um, fine. But there's only so many instances where you might need to use a semicolon, right? There's only so many instances where you might need to use something else. And I think that's where people get stuck is they get stuck on those ones that are very hyper specific to um, a certain situation because they're like, well, then I can't let it go. I can't like I have to do a lesson that's very specific on this. So we're going to do 10 practice quite or 10 practice sentences with these types of grammar, which mm-hmm. isn't necessarily wrong, but um, I like uh Donald Graves in one of his books, he talks about, uh, or not Donald Graves. It was, um, uh, Ralph Fletcher in his book writing workshop. He talks about how there might be a fear of you do a mini lesson and then you might not see kids doing that right away in their writing. He's like, it's fine. He was like, what it's, you have it there. You have your anchor chart, you have it in their craft book, you have it working through all of this. And then you set up parameters to where they have to use that for something, right? You set up Mm -hmm. learning experiences to where they do it. That's where it's not necessarily concerning that they're doing it in that moment. Now in your lesson, yes, it's like, okay, let's practice this. Let's do it. But in their own writing, if they're not jumping and using semicolons or whatever, then it's not a, a cause for alarm. But I think that's where we freak out. It's like we want immediate application all the time. And I think that is where that's where the pitfall comes from. You're looking at your curriculum and you're looking at workshop. And you're like, OK, well, if they're just writing kind of whatever they want based in their choices and interest, how do I force them into what I want them to do? And I think that's where the magic of workshop comes in, because the better you get at it and the better and more fluent you are with the process um, you end up knowing what's going to trigger your kids to action. That to me is like the catalyst, right? I, I say it in rightfully empowered. It's the, the mini lesson is the catalyst for everything else. Um, and if you set your mini lesson up correctly and you're doing it based on the standards and you're having a focus based on that for your students, um, then they're going to start absorbing that. Also, I think the other thing is you do more mini lessons. Uh, that's, that's my solution. I know you tend to go a little bit with longer mini lessons or, or lessons that kind of stretch out over a period of days sometimes. Um, but for me, my solution was like, you know what, if I don't get it today, I'll get it tomorrow. If I don't get it tomorrow, I'll get it the next day. If I don't get it the next day, I'll get it the next day. Um, because I did so many lessons that I never really worried about uh, if I could fit it in. It was just a matter of where. I don't know. Did that make sense? Yeah. Uh, my my extensions are not, I mean, they're just where I might break down a concept and then teach it throughout. But a lot of times that's usually when we're doing a project and I'm trying to keep up with or do something similar 
or something required by the curriculum. And then I just like a product or a project uh, that usually can extend. Uh, the thing is, is if you're having a 50 minute workshop class, you can extend that mini lesson into two days or not mini lesson, but that whole entire series of lessons into two days and and I wouldn't sweat it so one day there would be your the setup we were talking about then the next day would be all work day and then you could go that direction um there could be so I mean you, you just need to set it up based on your time and all of that I never have trouble filling the time because by the time I'm finished my kids have so much work to do they they have trouble getting it done uh, and that may basically is because they've, they're creating their own work. And a lot of times when they create their own work, they end up with way more than what I would have ever assigned <laughs> if it was that. But when you brought up grammar, one of the things that I do is, is the many lessons I choose to do um, are often at a certain point in the process. So of writing so like on grammar for example if most of my students are in the revision process like we've been we've already they've already found several things that they've written about because usually when I start a unit or anything like that uh at the beginning like the, at the beginning of the year my kids have four to five things that they've already written in the first week you know because we do a lot of quick writes we do a lot of uh, writing a, you know, like where I do a picture book and then that sponsors some writing, they respond to their reading that they're doing their independent reading. So then they go back into that. I might teach a concept. Like if we're supposed to be doing short story and we're supposed to be doing plot, for example, plot, uh, you know, what is it? Nonlinear plot or whatever Then I might do a lesson on that plot but that's after they've already written. And then what they do is once I do my lesson, they go back into their own writing. And I've used some mentor texts. We've identified it in some things and some other mini lessons. And then they go back into their own writing and they determine which one of their writings already fits what the district or the requirements are supposed to be based on the district. So like if you're dealing with a genre specific district, so like every six weeks or every nine weeks, you're doing so many genres, like you might, if it's set up that way, then um, then that's what I would do is I, I have them write uh, for the whole first week. And then the second week, what I have them do is they go, I teach whatever concepts I'm supposed to about the writing, about the structure of the writing, like if it's story or if it's nonfiction or if it's science fiction or if it's historical fiction, whatever it is, if it's poetry. And then what they do is they go back into their writing and then they they choose a piece that they want to continue. That's what I do. But that piece that they want to continue will be based on whatever we've been teaching. Then when we get to revising, so at that time, I, that's how I kind of keep my kids a little bit close together, where yours is more, from my understanding, um, your kids, you teach all those mini lessons and they really just start working on. So in your case, you might not have everybody working on short story, but then, but, it, but sometimes your district comes in and they expect everybody in your group to be in the same category or a same content. So that's just, that's how it used to be. And for me, and I've worked for that kind of uh, setup for so long, I've just gotten used to turning that setup into a workshop does that make sense? And so then when it comes to grammar, if we're in revising, then I start teaching 
uh, compound complex sentences. I might show them some, I might show them how sentence structure works. And then I have them go back into their own writing that they've been working on and they go find stuff. If they can't find anything, then I have them using their draft book. They pull a sentence or two and they might combine two sentences or they may separate if they find that they've, we might talk about sentence variety and sentence length. And, you know, so did you put all of your sentences together into, you know, can you divide them up to make it more clear? So we talk about that and then they go practice those things. Then when we're in the editing stage, now we talk, and plus that you also have to talk about semicolons when you're combining sentences and all of that. So I hit, I might hit that punctuation or editing conversation or uh, uh, mini lesson during that time. And then they go back in whatever so so it's kind of driven by the district, but driven by the writing. Does that make sense? Yeah. <laughs> so I think a uh, last point I want to make on this one is read examples. I My favorite book to hand people um, when they're just looking for structure is obviously rightfully empowered. But if you're not going to get that one and if you're not going to hand that to somebody, then honestly, I would do that workshop book. I think that is one of the best like primers of what workshop looks like because um, it shows it in so many different ways. Mm -hmm. It shows the, the nice outline. And then uh, when it comes to fitting curriculum and stuff into the workshop format, you just got to do it. Workshop is one of those practices where you just kind of have to jump in and you feel it out and you see what uh, methods work for you and you see what time frames work for you. It'd, it'd be really easy. I mean, you and I can sit here and say, you know, do your 15 minute mini lesson, do 25 minute read time, 25 minute ride time, do debrief, and then you're good to go. But that's, that's one package deal. It could look in any type of way. Um, and I think the more you experiment, the more you play, the more you just let yourself kind of have fun with it. Um, I think you're good to go. I think people overthink these things sometimes. Workshop's supposed to be where kids are workshopping through their reading and writing. If you get that concept, I think you can make it work no matter what. Well, yeah, and if you don't mind if I add, because uh, sure. you mentioned it, that 15 minutes, I have actually seen teachers, you know, as I was doing my observations and things like that, set timers to the point that the timer actually hinders the flow of the workshop. And so um, I, I would just caution of that. I think sometimes you need that timer. There's certain things like if it's a discussion you want them to do, you can time that, you know, if you want to, uh, things like that. But when it comes to the work time, um, sometimes you might can set a timer for yourself. Okay. But I don't always recommend a timer because then the kids start watching how much long do I, you know, it needs to be, it needs to be a natural uh, fluid work time um, where it's like a feel for 15 minutes or a feel of 10 minutes. Uh, and that way, because what will happen too is if you have it like I went into a class to cover this last year and she set timers. I'm not saying timers are, are bad, so don't get me wrong. But then I'm over here covering the class and she's supposed to be doing workshop and the kids just got into their books that they were reading. And, an, and a student goes, oh, our 10 minutes is up. 
And I mean, they had really just settled into reading because the teacher was absent, right? But the, so they might get settled faster with her. But the whole thing is that timer, they watched the timer. So were they really reading or were they just watching the timer the whole time? So I just think you want to just, you know, know your kids. And sometimes they need that timer, but sometimes they don't. And I just wouldn't be so tied up on that, that it, it hinders your workshop. And then the workshop book that you were mentioning, it, it is, that's actually the title of that workshop book, but it's by Samantha Bennett if uh, everybody wants to know. And then another one that I've always come to, of course, you know, I love Dr. Carol. She's my mentor, uh, Joyce Armstrong Carroll. And she wrote a, a little bitty book and it's called The Workshop Primer. And uh, I've actually uh, used that quite often. It's The Workshop Primer. And that one's not as well known, but it is, it is extremely helpful. And there she talks about mini lessons and macro lessons and my and you know little bitty just little micro lessons where they're even smaller than the mini lessons so it's really kind of fascinating how small can you go how small can you go sometimes you don't need a whole lot sometimes all you do is just need and that's what susan um samantha uh bennett says in her book is she calls it catch and release in her book. And she says, sometimes all you need to do is you're walking around, you're walking around because you're always walking around. You're not, you don't put them to work and sit down at your desk. You put them to work. And if you are sitting, that's because where you're sitting is a conference area and they're coming to you to conference. Does that make sense? But you really want to be up and around knowing what your kids are doing. And when you see a common mistake, like you mentioned semicolons, and they're all, every one of them's messed up their semicolon. They truly don't understand how to use semicolon. Then that's a quick micro lesson where you stop everybody you catch them and say hey everybody real quick i'm noticing this when our in our conferences you do a really quick lesson and then you send them back out and uh so that is that is what she means by catch and release in that book 